Hey, it's Mastin. Welcome to the Mastin Kid Podcast. If you want to take your first step uh, on your trauma-informed journey, come to claimyourpowerbook.com and get my book, Claim Your Power. There are uh, a bunch of awesome free bonuses with that, including a 40-day coaching journey with me that will get you started on your trauma-informed path. Claimyourpowerbook.com. Enjoy. It's awesome. I put my heart and soul into it. And if you want to really start your journey to do your trauma work, claimyourpowerbook.com is the place to go to get my book, claim your power, and to get a bunch of free bonuses, including free coaching with me for 40 days. Please enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Masting Kit Podcast. I'm your host. Masting Kip, and I am the creator of Functional Life Coaching, where we discover the root cause emotional blocks that are holding you back from success. And I'm also the creator of Trauma Hacking, helping you turning your nervous system into your ally, and the best selling author of the book Claim Your Power, and also a trauma survivor advocate. And this podcast is from my heart to yours. I'm going to share with you all kinds of different things, uh, different coaching uh, experiences that I've had with people, um, different parts of my life, maybe an excerpt from a seminar, different interviews with friends and thought leaders, all about how to get unstuck, how to hack your nervous system, how to turn your nervous system into your ally and really get the edge so that you can really live your dreams, uh, live your purpose, and most importantly, pay it forward. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. One favor I have for you is this. If you love this podcast, remember to subscribe to it. And if you feel called, please feel free to leave a review because reviews really matter, helps us spread the word and helps other people really discover this podcast. So if this was valuable to you, please feel free to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. And if there's anything in this episode or any episode that really strikes you as an aha moment, shoot us an email to hello at mastinkip.com. Tell us which episode it was and about what time uh, the breakthrough was in the episode so that we can really know because I'd love to hear from you what your aha moments are. I love hearing that and my team loves hearing that too. So without any further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Mass and Kip podcast. We also have to start to find the right degree of neural challenge. What this means is neural challenge is we have to push you outside of the window of tolerance slightly. What's the window of tolerance? W-O-T, Mr. Siegel, Miss Ogden. What'd they tell us? Anybody remember? Anybody know? So we have our window of tolerance here. If it gets too high emotionally, what's that called? It's called hyperarousal. And that's not sexual arousal, just emotionally. What if it gets too low? What's that called? Hypoarousal, right? So one of the things that really fucking bothers me about how a lot of therapists, none in this room, but a lot, treat uh, some of their clients is they treat them like they're fucking broken and fragile. And here's the thing. If someone has a trauma history, which is everybody, they're fucking resilient because they got through that shit. Who follows? This makes sense? It drives me fucking crazy. Oh, you're this broken, fragile thing, and we really need to prioritize your self-care, right? Which is super fucking important. But we also have to prioritize getting you like here. Because just like weightlifting, if you only stay with easy weight, what's gonna happen? You might get some blood flow, but are you gonna grow? No way. So we gotta push you right outside your window of tolerance and then recover. And push you and recover. And push you and recover. What we don't wanna do is go way up here. Who falls? This makes sense? And so that's why my biggest mantra in all of this work is and walk. 
Try and walk because the walking keeps you outside that window just a little bit. I want you a little tense. And here's the thing. A little bit each day creates just like in weightlifting micro trauma, which you can recover from. And pretty soon you're handling shit you couldn't handle before. Who follows? This makes sense. Like going live and doing Instagram stories, right? Little micro trauma, but I handled it. And now I have some proof because the nervous system is a show, not tell situation. Yeah, show it, not tell it because it needs some proof because guess what you i'm not gonna die you better show me right that's why with these micro commitments of neural challenge which is why we always try to push you forward just a little bit no matter what you're going through okay and part of polythagal one-on-one is experiencing autonomic state shifting meaning knowing what dorsal vagal feels like knowing what sympathetic feels like and knowing what ventral vagal feels like and starting to know how to switch between the three and knowing you can control that shit and having emotional flexibility because that will give you mental well-being or mental health, okay? And when you understand all this, it helps you navigate new material and experiences so that you can take on challenges and go into the uncertain knowing that you're in control no matter what happens. Because here's what happens. If you just get locked in like a dorsal vagal shutdown and you don't know you can get out or that's even a DV shutdown, what are you going to do? This is how life is. Who follows? What if you're always sympathetic and just fight or flight hypervigilant? No one teaches you how to activate your ventral vagal state. They just give you a benzo. What just happened right there? Everyone went, hmm. What just happened? I'm curious. Up, so anger happened. What else? Is that like an aha? Yeah. What is the purpose of a benzodiazepam? Xanax, clonopin, etc. Calm you down. What's the purpose of the ventral vagal system? Calm you down. If you don't know you have a brake on a car, maybe they're going to attach a parachute. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. It's true. The thing is, we didn't know this stuff before. The literature is just kind of starting to get updated, okay? And also, we get to do all this with safety and connection, not isolation and avoidance or anxiety. That's the goal. More challenge, more growth, more flexibility with safety and with connection, okay? So the old model of the autonomic nervous system is that it's sort of, you know, this two-part binary on-off, and they were antagonistic. What does that mean? They conflict each other, and the idea was one is on, one is off. One is on, one is off. And what we've learned is that is horseshit. That's not exactly true, okay? So the new model is the sympathetic nervous system is here, and the parasympathetic is broken into dorsal vagal and ventral vagal, which we'll get into, and they're working together, and they're never always on or off together. They work together. They're on and off together. They're not like, oh, I'm sympathetic, so all my parasympathetics are shut down. If that were the case, you wouldn't have heart rate variability, as an example, or facial expression, right? So the old model of this is being updated, and here's what we have to understand. Bidirectional communication came from Darwin. What's bidirectional mean? So it goes from the body to the brain, the brain to the body. And Darwin realized this, that there's like body to brain connection and brain to body connection. And Darwin was the first to kind of figure this out. And then Langley is the one who focused on the ANS model that most practitioners study today and really focused on efferent fibers. Now what's efferent? You guys remember? From where to where? From the brain to the body. That's right. So it's going to be interesting for you uh, if you ever talk to someone in the future and they talk about, yeah, they're worshiping the brain. 
you're going to say, well, that sounds like uh, you're really focused on efferent pathways. Can you tell me about my afferent pathways? They're going to go, what? Because people don't know what that is yet. They don't realize that there's 10 times more afferent. Now, what's afferent mean? So afferent is from where to where? Real loud, guys. From where to where? And efferent is from where to where? That's right. So if you get a brain scan and they look at your brain map, they're fo- and then they think, oh, here's what's wrong with your brain, what are they focused on? Afferent or efferent? Efferent with an E. Who follows? Right? Now, what the f*** makes the brain that way? Efferent or afferent pathways? Afferent. Say it with me. Afferent. Afferent. We'll say it a couple times. Afferent. 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 And then brain to body is efferent. Efferent. One more time. Efferent. I'm going to hypnotize you later, so you're going to know all this. Well, you know, I'm having an afferent uh, subcortical response. It's a neuroceptive response. I don't know if we should focus on efferent pathways, doc. What? Right? I want to make you guys so fucking smart at this because this is important stuff, okay? So what happened was when the ANS, autonomic nervous system, was originally mapped many, 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 many years ago, they were hyper-focused on the brain-to-body pathways, which means the mental health system is worshiping the wrong organ. Who follows? In fact, what they're worshiping is the brain is a picture of body health in many cases. So when you look at what's happening here, if I have, for example, an overactive limbic system based on a SPECT imaging scan, which is a Amen-style scan, right? That's nuclear imaging. If I have an overactive limbic system, what could that mean? Let's think about this for a second. That's right. I'm in a sympathetic response in my body. Who thinks... It's highly probable if I downregulate my sympathetic response and go ventral vagal, my limbic system will calm. Who thinks that might be true? All day long. And so, and by the way, if you do a brain scan and you go, oh, this is what happened to me. You know, your prefrontal cortex isn't, there's not too much happening there. In fact, the doc was with me, it was pretty funny. Because I, I have like a, like, I, I like to like go to my doctors and f with them, you know? And we, because it's like we get like, we have fun together. But he goes, you know, Mastin, I have no idea how you got this far with a brain like that, you know. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. Yeah, my doctors are funny. But the prefrontal cortex, now why would the prefrontal cortex not have a lot of activity? That's the cortical part of the brain. Why would it be mostly limbic? I'm li- ah, I'm living in a sympathetic state. Who follows? So how do you turn your PFC on? you got to go ventral vagal and start to do neural exercises in the brain, like meditation and neuro, neurofeedback, to wire that shit more. And guess what? Once your prefrontal cortex is on, in, in really involved and engaged, and you have strategies and more executive function skills, when you get activated, your prefrontal cortex can go, hey, I know that looked like the thing that used to hurt you, but that's not the case anymore. It's like a parent kind of going, hey, I got you. Because what happens is, if the prefrontal cortex isn't driving stuff, all the rest of the wiring is going to take over because somebody has to drive the f-ing boat. Who follows? This makes, you guys with me? I'm going fast on neuroscience, so I want to make sure you guys are with me so far. Is anybody, is anybody confused? It's okay if you are. You guys cool? So please be confused if you are. Okay. So the vagal paradox. So what we started to understand is poor just helped us understand that autonomic nervous system is not just a balance of systems, but a predictable hierarchy. 
And here's what happened. Kids, here's the thing. When Porges first started doing his work, um, there was a time where uh, children, like, like infants, would die from brachycardia, where the heart slows down too much. And a lot of the like, infant doctors think that uh, the vagus nerve can kill children. Who's ever heard that before, by the way? I'm curious. Anybody heard that before? Right? We have like sudden infant death syndrome, right? And like what happens is brachycardia is where the, the, the heart just goes too, too, too slow, okay? So what happens is, is that, especially if you're a premature child who's born, you know, at like, you know, 26, 27, 28 weeks or before, okay? Your vagus nerve hasn't even really formed yet in any ma- meaningful way. And the sort of vin- ventral vagal system doesn't really fully develop until you're about two. Which means that one of the reasons why the, the vagus nerve can, quote, kill a child early on is because they're not able to regulate themselves yet. And they just go so dorsal they shut down. Who follows? Does this make sense? But as you evolve your nervous system and get a little bit older, it's not as uh, lethal, okay? So in one sense, if you don't have the ability to kind of regulate the vagus nerve as a young child, it can be lethal. And the other thing is kids, until they have that ventral vagal system online, can't regulate themselves, which is why it's vital that a mother, ideally, regulate a child for at least the first two years of their life because they can't, which is why faces are so important. Who follows? Does this make sense? Because if a child is just being born and they're crying out, they have no idea how to regulate themselves. So it's up to the mother typically to be that ventral vagal system for the child until they can start to regulate themselves around two, three years old. Okay? And what's interesting is, is that it's not just this on-off dynamic. It's a hierarchy of responses based on what's happening in the environment that we can now start to predict. And when you can predict something, what does that mean? You can anticipate it and also what? You can change it. Who follows? And I'm all about that because I want control. Who wants control over your nervous system? Yeah, okay, all day long. So this is kind of how it goes, all right? We have our ventral vagus, which is parasympathetic, and it's our system of safety, connection, and social engagement. So when you're dancing here, it's a neural exercise of the ventral vagus system. So you're like, why the fuck am I wobbling? Well, because it's the ventral vagal neural exercise. Motherfucker. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and anytime you're doing social engagement with safety, you're activating and using that ventral vagal system and getting building more pathways for it, okay? And you can think of it like a stoplight, right? So that's go, green, safe, connected. The sympathetic nervous system is a system of mobilization. What does that mean? It means you're going to get going. Now, here's the thing. You can actually have your sympathetic nervous system activated while this is activated, what would that feel like if you're moving but you're having fun? Dancing the wobble. You're not shut down. What else? What type of connection? What would be a behavior where you're having a nervous system of mobilization activated but you're having fun? Skiing, playing sports. Very good. What else? Depends on the type of sex. It can absolutely be. If you're sexually aroused and feeling safe, absolutely that's a combination of the two. What else? Think about it. When have you been moving and having fun? Yoga? What else? Say what? Rafting? What? Walking? Guess what, guys? When you have ventral vagal and sympathetic on, that's called flow state. Who follows? Because if you don't have the ventral vagal pathway on and you're just sympathetic, what's that called? 
fight or flight anxiety. The difference between anxiety and flow is that ventral vagal is running the show. That's the difference. Who follows? Okay. Now, this is really important because we need to mobilize. Mobilization is way better than immobilization all day long. I would rather you be anxious and depressed, and I'd rather you be moving one inch per hour than not at all. Okay. Now, the parasympathetic response of dorsal vagus, that's the system of immobilization. Why do we have an immobilization system? Conserve energy. Okay, what else? No, chasing is sympathetic. If I'm being chased, I'm going to be in sympathetic because I'm fight or flight. Okay? The dorsal vagus response, the immobilization shutdown isolation response, is in the presence of imminent life threat that I cannot escape. Who follows? It's more than just freeze, though. It's shutdown. It's total shutdown. Freeze, yes, for sure. And it's even more nuanced than that. Because here's the thing. If I'm in a sympathetic state, I, part of me thinks I can either run or flee. Or fight. Sorry. Run and flee are the same thing. Run or fight. I can either beat this motherfucker up or get the fuck out of here. Right? This is like every action movie. This thing all day long. With a little bit of this at the end. <laughs> right? But I can run or I can flee. Dorsal vagal is I can't get out of here. Now here's the thing. When we're a young child and we're stuck, can we flee? Can we fight? So what's our option? Dorsal vagal. Okay? If there's any type of physical, I see you, one second. If there's any type of physical immobilization, rape, any of that type of stuff, what is that? I'm physically immobilizing somebody. What is that? Dorsal vagal. Being arrested, all that type of stuff. Right? And the reason why we have a dorsal vagal system is because this also allows us to pass out and you know, dissociate. Nobody wants to be conscious when they're being eaten. That's why it's there, okay? So when you go dorsal vagal, your nervous system has interpreted the system, whatever's happening is so much threat, the only option is dissociation and shutdown because whatever you're facing is too dangerous. The problem is that learned behavior happens earlier in life when you were not able to fight back, you were not able to move, but now you can. So that part of your nervous system doesn't realize that you're an adult with agency and control and power and can do something about it now. So when we access those exiles, those parts of yourself that are traumatized, that goes dorsal vagal, that's an appropriate response to when it happened. If someone has a repeated history of being immobilized and sexually assaulted, yeah, dorsal vagal response is probably life-saving. But many years later, when they're trying to start a business, is dorsal vagal response life-saving? It could actually end up hurting them in the long run. Who follows? This makes sense? And here's the thing. These systems here don't give a fuck about your goals. Okay? They don't care about your values. They don't care about what you said to someone. All they care about is, am I safe? When people disengage from the program, for us, where'd they go? Here. Why? Something's threatening them. And we don't know what it is. And we reach out. We do our best we can sometimes. But to get back in from dorsal vagal to social engagement is really hard, which is why being here is fucking awesome. Let's give a round of applause for that, by the way. It's so huge. Because, and here's the thing. When the area that you're stuck, finances, romance, whatever, most of your responses are here. You don't take action. You stop. You're mobilized. Who follows? This makes sense? That's why anytime we say, and walk, and keep moving, we're like, we want you to get here, at least. It's the first step. Because every time you start to take new action in a direction that's trying to help you heal your trauma, you'll get more and more proof that it's not how it used to be, which means you have a greater likelihood of being here. Right? So I'm like, oh my God, 
I'm crying my ass off. I'm about to go live on Facebook and go live. Because otherwise, you're continuing the process of that dorsal vagal response. Who follows? Does this make sense? Hey, it's Mastin. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. And before we wrap up, if you found value in this, one of the best ways to get this trauma-informed information to the world, if that's something that you want to do and to be a part of spreading the word, I would be so very grateful if you could leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts so that uh, you can review this. And hopefully it's a good review, but please leave an honest review. And especially if you want to leave a five-star review, I would be super stoked on that. But of course, just make it honest. But my goal is to share more trauma-informed information with the world. And I need your help to spread this information and reviews matter. So if you feel called to do that, would very much appreciate it. If you got value from this episode and from this podcast, we very much appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for hearing me out. And if you feel called, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify, and we'll see you in the next episode.